0: Welcome to Sermons from Iceland, a podcast that highlights the most recent sermons from Lofstofan Baptista Kirka, a Bible based church in the Reykjavik, Iceland area. Pastor Gunnar Ingi Gunnarsson and the ministry staff of Lofstofan are grateful that you're joining us for today's study in God's Word as a supplement to your weekly routine of meeting with your local church to worship Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Following was recorded on Sunday, February 6, 2022. Today's message title, Where the Good News of Jesus Meets Our Identity.
1: All right, we're gonna be jumping into we're gonna dwell mainly in Genesis chapter one. And what we're gonna be dealing with today, well, there's one of the songs that we sang that kind of deals with this. Uh, over the next few weeks, we wanna take specific Bible passages that we feel like. We need to hear as a church, and we need to uh, remember we are. Um, What was the song that we were singing? I'm chosen, not not forsaken. I am who you say I am. And really, as we go into uh, the topic of today, it it kind of deals with this. Where, Where do you get your identity from? In the end, who is the one who gets to define who you are uh, and how you see yourself, and how you see the people around you, as I as I try to create here a hotspot with my phone, <laughs> as I something is going on with the internet. And see, this is this is why I should print out my sermons, isn't it? Um, here you go. And so we're going to be dwelling in Genesis one. Um, yeah, here we go. And, and we're going to be dealing with this topic of who does God say I am and who does the world say I am and who, wh- what is the relationship between who I think I am versus who God says I am? Uh, so we're going to be dwelling a few weeks on dealing with how the good news of Jesus deals with blank. And there's going to be a specific scenario there. Uh, last week we talked about, wow, what did we talk about? Sex and romance. Uh, this week, <laughs> this week we're going to talk about at gender identity, uh, we're going to move on to different touchy subjects throughout the next few weeks, including uh, what is the, the the good news of Jesus, teach me about uh, mental illness, how to live with it, how to, how to be around people that have it, what does it have to say about my identity, and so on and so forth. And the reason we're going into this, you might be coming in here today, and maybe this is your first time going to a free church, and you're asking yourself, I knew it, these free churches, they just talk about... They just talk about sexuality all the time and how mad they're at other people enjoying life. And they just want you to be miserable and, and, uh, and Christian, you know, that's how I thought of Christians for the longest time, but that's not the case. So the, the, the first thing that we're operating from today is really that God is good, right? Can I hear an amen? And have people been able to verify that fact that God is good? Anybody? Kelvin has verified it. We, we all trust Kelvin. So <laughs> uh God is gracious. Amen. Yeah. God is glorious and God is great. And so we're we're operating from from that worldview. Um and so when we we're, we're we're when we're singing songs like I am who you say I am, to some people that might sound very restricting. Well, who is God to tell me who I am? I get to define myself and I get to live my own way. Meanwhile, we're operating from the worldview that actually God loves us and God created us and God knows what he created us for and ultimately where my joy is ultimately found, no matter what I think can offer me joy, God is good, God is gracious, God is glorious. And so we're operating from that worldview. And the reason we're going into this today is because there's a new law at least being proposed in parliament that would make it basically illegal to offend people uh, based on religion, uh, based on uh, ethnicity, based on um, special needs, based on sexuality and gender identity. And so we're asking ourselves, if this law gets approved, how do we talk about these issues? What does the Bible have to say about gender identity, for instance? And, And so we need to be ready to give a reason for the hope that is within us. Uh, that's one of the, the, the things that the Bible tells us to do in 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 15 to 16. It tells us to be, to honor Christ the Lord as holy in our lives, but always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. One of the interesting thing there is that we should live such life that shows other people around us that we have hope, right? So we can smile and enjoy life, right? Uh, yet do it with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience so that when you are slandered, notice there, when you're slandered, not if you're slandered, you're going to be slandered that those who revile you for your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame so that they might realize that ultimately it's not true of us. Let us pray as we go into this. Father, I pray that you would be with us as we deal with this uh, subject that's close to the heart of so many people. Uh, if we've lived in a sort of Western culture long enough, we probably know some people around us, um, family, friends, uh, classmates, workmates uh, that are dealing with these issues and take these issues very, very personally. So I ask grace for me as we deal with this, that we would ultimately be people who are always faithful to the word of God above everything else, because we want to follow Jesus and we believe that Jesus is good for us. We believe that in Jesus is our ultimate joy found and uh, fulfillment of our joy found. So we definitely do not wanna compromise truth, but also we don't wanna compromise love. We don't wanna compromise grace. We wanna reflect Jesus, as John 1 puts it, who came full of grace and truth. And so we wanna show grace and we wanna reflect Jesus in that way, but we also wanna stand on truth. And so as we deal with this subject, I pray that you'd guide my time that I would not be preaching my own ideas, but your word that gives life, that gives meaning, that gives hope, that gives joy. So be with us today. Give us open ears to hear, open hearts to receive, and ultimately help us not only know your word better, but reflect it in the way we live. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right, so in light of First Peter chapter three, we definitely want to honor God as holy. And uh, one of the things that we need to have in mind as we deal with maybe this cultural conversation that's coming up in the next few weeks, maybe it doesn't, maybe uh, people just don't want to deal with this and like talking about COVID and the new numbers every day or whatever else. But if this happens to be a cultural conversation, we need to be ready to answer questions. And one of the things that I like about this verse is that it doesn't call Christians to win arguments. It's calling us to win souls, to focus on the people. It doesn't call us, the Bible does not call us to be debaters of men, but rather we are to be fishers of men. Um, and what we want to do and what I would recommend that as this cultural conversation may take place, that we would agree that it's not a win for us to shame anyone into agreeing with where we're coming from or giving in or, or finding shame in the fact that uh, they have to give up and realize that they lost a the debate. Um, ultimately all this is coming from the, the prerequisite that if you're a Christian, you're coming at this saying, I believe that in Jesus, there's ultimate joy and there's ultimate hope to be found. And I want other people to experience the hope and joy that I've found in Jesus. I loved how DT Niles put it. He said, what is evangelism? He says, it's one Christian who is a beggar, who doesn't have a piece of bread, who doesn't have anything to eat. And he's simply showing other beggars where bread can be found. And that's in Jesus. And I believe that we may live sort of in the most confusing time of all of human history. I know that's a, a big statement to make, but it feels that way to me. Uh, and if it feels that way to me, then it's obviously true, right? No, because we have what we have today is we have a lot of moral rates without agreeing on a moral law. Right. We, we try to create a moral law that's based on our specific feelings and opinions about things without really having a moral law giver that we all appeal to. And this is the gift that we've received from the rise of atheism, from humanism. Rebellion has become cool and living as your own God, your own arbiter of what's right and wrong and what's true and what's a lie. That's become cool. But one of the things that we're starting, I think, to realize is that living in this rebellion, living as our own gods, ultimately doesn't give us lasting joy. And we can live as if I'm my own God, but I can never escape the fact that I still live in God's world. And so what we're at is basically, we have a bunch of people walking around as if they're the ultimate authority Their thoughts and feelings are the litmus test for everyone else. We've inherited a a society that is probably going to come apart because we can't appeal to anyone anymore. Like, have you thought about this? We all think of it as a given that there are such things as a human right, right? Most of us would be like, yes, there are human rights, but where does that idea come from? Where does the idea of human right come from and then you know right now we're at a time for instance where we're dealing with questions that have that were considered a given even just 20 years ago like like the question what is gender what is sex Asex? you know a male or a woman what does that even mean and are there just two i found a list once that said there are 72 different genders and and you know for arguably the first time in all of human history There's no outside appeal to what's right and wrong. There's no prophet. There's no sacred text. There's no God. There's not even a false God that people appeal to anymore. It's mostly about what I feel to be true. And so that's created one of the most confusing times in all of human history because everyone is appealing to their own feelings and they all disagree with one another. And today we're gonna be talking about this touchy subject that how does the good news of Jesus deal with the issue of gender identity and we're going to be mostly based out of Genesis 1 26 but before going into the text let me lay the groundwork here a little bit because it's very interesting like I said this sermon 20 years ago would have been so strange it would have been just people would have looked at me like what are you talking about of course there's there's sex is a male and a woman you know and it's chromosomal and it's biological and we all know what you're talking about 20 or even 10 years ago it would have been simply very strange now fast forward to today and we have people making the case that they're um that the gender are not just two different things that gender isn't even a given that it's just created by society around it around us it's a social construct but even if you look at different philosophies so this is one of the things that I've prepared for this sermon. I've been trying to listen to a lot of lectures from people who disagree with me on this subject and trying to understand where they're coming from. But it finds it just baffles my mind that, you know, I was listening to some feminists talking about gender. And what she was saying is that she was saying, well, if a little girl plays with a Barbie and likes pink stuff, that does not mean uh, that that makes her a woman. Or if a if a boy likes Barbie and pink stuff, that does not mean... That that's a lady's stuff or a girl's stuff. It has nothing to do with it. And then on the other hand, I would listen to another, uh, another interview where there was a transgender person who was a man claiming to be a woman. And he said, well, how I know I'm a woman is that I've always liked pink. And I've always played with Barbie. And I've always, I, I always wanted to dress in heels and all this stuff that the other feminist was arguing against. Now, this person was saying, this is actually what affirms me as a woman. and so." Today, there's such a confusing mix, add to the mix that there are people out there that think, okay, there's 72 different genders and how do you even, how does language comprehend that? And as I was preparing for this, I came across this like one sentence that I feel like to me emphasizes just how confused everybody is. There's one interview when someone asked, can you define for me what a woman is? And the other person I think he claimed to be like non-binary or something like that. He said, no, that's up to every individual person. Which kind of blew my mind because then I was like, why is anybody identifying as anything anymore? You know, if there's no even consensus or agreement about what is a woman, then why identify as a woman if no one really knows what it is? And so (laughs) this this is like, as I was preparing for this, as I was listening to lectures, I was just thinking, man, this is such a confusing time to live in for so many people and I can't imagine what it's like to be a seven-year-old and being asked the question, which gender are you out of the 72? I don't know. <laughs> I just wanted candy for breakfast. You know, I, I have no idea about these things, you know, and I can't imagine really if, if, you know, if this has happened in the last 20 years, where 20 years ago this sermon would have been just, Everybody would have been looking at me funny to here we are today. What's going to happen in the next 20 years? And, um, anyways, do you see what I'm talking about when, when I say that we're living in the most confused time of of human history? No one really agrees. What, what is it? You know, what used to be a given 20 years ago about gender, for instance, is no longer definable today. And it reminds me, honest, honestly, about these verses in Romans chapter one as Paul the apostle he's describing what happens to us when we give ourselves to worshiping something other than the one true God. And he he says here, for although they knew God, and he makes the case that when we see creation and the beauty of creation and everything else, we see his power on display. They did not honor him as God, nor give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools. And they exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal men and birds and animals and creeping things. And one of the things that I was realizing as I was listening to these interviews is that ideas have consequences and bad ideas have victims. The fruit of trying to operate in a worldview where we push God out of the picture and then we put ourselves in his place is not really increased enjoyment, it's increased confusion. And when we follow our own way, as we see in Romans 1, 21, the fruit is never wisdom, but foolishness. And if we keep going down this route, the ultimate reward of our life and existence will not be joy, but rather it's going to be desperation. And meanwhile, as we we are dealing with this issue today, we are operating from John 15, verse 11, where he says these things, Jesus is saying, man, if you abide in me, this is what I promise to do for you. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. Amen? Everybody, Anybody get to experience this joy? I find it interesting because I, I remember reading a Bible verse that says, "Your his joy surpasses all understanding. And I'm like, man, how does that even work? And then it's one thing to know it up here. And then there's another thing to walk in circumstances when there's nothing joyful. And yet you feel his joy, his hope in you. So when we talk about this topic, it may be a touchy topic to some people. It may hit close to home to some people. It may be that you've been caught up in this confusing yourself. It may be that people that you love around you have been caught up in this confusion about what is gender and all this stuff. And to you, this issue of the modern take on gender may not simply be an issue. It may be a person that you love. And so what we have to be careful of and what the church has really done in the past, which I consider to be a mistake, is that it it was really, really firm on what's true. And it proclaimed truth and it preached truth and it pointed fingers. And, and some of it was really, really right. But at the same time, they didn't show the grace of God, right? They just showed you, they just reminded you how horrible you are as a person. And it didn't remind you that there's a bloody cross that died for the sin, right? When we talk about this topic, we have to remember that. Well, Jesus, he's here offering us his joy that our joy may be full and when the Bible speaks truth that goes against our feelings or my emotions, it's not so that God can sort of say, ha you don't get this, you know, just like I was doing to my daughter this morning who wanted candy for breakfast, right? It's not so that I can simply just like, here's your candy. Nope, not right now because I'm boss. Now, I have a reason for saying no. It's because I want her to be healthy. I don't want her to have a, a sugar high and uh, crash at 11 a.m., for instance. You know, I wanted to have energy throughout the day. But for, for a lot of us and for a lot of people, when they think about God and who he is and what he says, they really think of him as this bad boss who just wants to tell us what to do for no real good reason. But we're operating from these words that we trust and know that Jesus knows better than I do. And that ultimately he's not just trying to be me. He's trying, he wants me to be joyful in him. He's pointing us to a better way. And Jesus says that if anyone really wants to be a Christian, that includes letting go of yourself. It's not just for particular sins. It's not just for some people who are really, really bad. It's for all of us. Anybody in here identify as a sinner? right, (laughs) amen. Can I hear an amen, everybody? Yeah, and if not, that's a sin of pride. So talk to me after the service. Uh, No, we are all sinners in need of grace. And so this is not just a call to some particular group of people, but this is a call to everybody. If we wanna follow Jesus, we are deciding that I am not the king of my life anymore. I am not who I say I am, I'm who you say I am. I am yours and I'm gonna follow wherever you go because I think that you are the one who created me, that you know better than I do. And even if I may have questions about why this is happening in my life, and even if I may have questions of why you're asking me to sacrifice this and let go of that, I'm gonna trust that you are good, that you're gracious, that you're glorious, and you're great, and I'm gonna follow you. That is what the call of discipleship is. In Matthew 16, we find these words of Jesus. It says, then Jesus told his disciples, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself. If anyone would come after me. He doesn't say they're all oh, the, the sexually immoral, it, not immortal, uh, immoral. <laughs> the, if you're a sexually immoral person, then you have to deny yourself. All you other good Pharisees, religious people, you, you just stay the course. You just be who you are and, and, and join me. Now he's saying, that if anyone would want to come after me, deny himself, take up your cross and follow me for whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake, he will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and yet he forfeits his soul? So in light of Jesus's call, I'm a man who lives a suppressed life. And when I say that statement, for most people, they would consider me uh, a very, oh, poor guy is suppressing who he is. (laughs) But the thing is, when I look inward, (laughs) I know who I am. I know how sinful I am. I know some of the good ideas that I've had, but a lot of the bad ideas that I've had. I live a suppressed life. And ultimately, as a preacher, mostly, I'm telling everyone to do the same thing. I'm telling us all, let's all deny ourselves. Let's all follow Jesus because he knows better. He's worth it. And even if all of my life, even the rest of my, you know, whatever God gives me, 30, 40, 50 years on earth are gonna be suffering and pain. I'm gonna say with Paul, to live as Christ to die as gain. And this light and momentary affliction is nothing compared to the glory that is to come. Do you see how Jesus dismantles the myth That joy of life is found in giving in to all of your ideas and all of your feelings and all of your emotions. You say, no, 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 no. The joy of life is not you just going along with everything, all the ideas that you have. Can anybody think of ideas that are just really, really bad ideas that you've had throughout your life? Anybody think of like, man, if I would have done that, I would have destroyed my relationship, my career, my life. Jesus is saying he's he's coming against this myth of modern society that says man for you to be truly happy you have to give in to who you truly are and while Jesus comes along and says no I want my joy to be in you and I want your joy to be full and what that looks like is actually you denying yourself and following me it's not giving in to all of your ideas and tendencies and inclination he actually says that if you do that, you're gonna lose your life. You may gain the whole world, but you're gonna forfeit your soul. Again, it may sound like a great idea. While well, gain the whole world. Oh, I have a pretty, you know, I have a broken down car. Gaining the whole world sounds pretty great right now, right? But think about this. This morning, I used a toaster, right? A king a hundred years ago didn't own that kind of equipment. And I own a toaster. The king may have had servants, plenty of servants that had to build a fire, roast something on it, but I just did it in like one minute. And I can laugh at the king a hundred years ago, living for all that the world had to offer. And you know what's going to happen in a hundred years? When people finally get those flying cars and everything else, they're going to be laughing at us. If you lived for the cars outside, if you lived for the toaster, they're going to have some laser technology that's going to toast everything for you in like one second, right? They're going to laugh at us for the stuff that we owned in this life. So you can choose to say, I'm going to, I'm going to gain the whole world. And people even 20 years from now are going to laugh at the stuff you own. You can do that and you can have a wonderful, you know, fulfilling all your desires for your, your years here on earth. And you know what's going to happen? You're going to walk into eternity, realizing that eternity is eternal <laughs> and that it's not 60, 70, 80, 100 years. It's forever. And you're going to realize I lived for the wrong thing. I, li- I messed everything up. And Jesus is saying, no, no, no. I want you to have joy, eternal joy. And that means deny yourself. Trust that I made you for a good reason and that I know better than you where your joy is found. Just follow me. Well, if we want to hear about how God created things to be, if we can, I recommend that we go to the beginning of creation where everything is perfect. No sin has entered the world. Um, you know, it, it, if at all possible, let's go there. Right? If you're looking at your Bibles and you're thinking, how should I deal with my enemies, right? It's probably good to think about the beginning of creation. Like you could either talk about Jesus' teaching of turning the other cheek. And you're like, oh, I don't really like that. Or you could go to Samson, killing like 500 people with a jawbone. And you are like, yes, okay, I'll be like Samson. But I recommend that if we really want to know what God created us for, that we either go to Jesus' teaching that's built on having, you know, living the life that God created us to live or we go to the beginning of creation. So right now, let's go to Genesis 1, 26 to 28 to do this with a few different points. It says here, then God said, let us make man in our image and after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. Creeps on the earth, that's kind of funny. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fists of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. So like I said, if we want to get a glimpse of what God intended for us as he created us, Let's go to the beginning of creation. And first, I want you to notice this. God created humanity in his image. Both a man and a female are created to carry the image of God. Now, what theologians will do, what theologians will do, they argue for literally centuries about what stuff means. And so they've been going, well, what does it mean to be an image of God? You know, the other guy is like, well, you're stupid. You know, it actually means this. So, you know, they they have like, okay, what does it mean to be? an image bearer of God. Is it our bodies? Is it our skin? Is it the beating heart? Is it, is it our lungs? Are we created in the image of God? But then we realize, no, but actually it's, it's got a spirit, right? So how are our bodies created in the image of God? And the other theologian comes along and says, well, no, no, no. We're created in the image of God in the way that we have intelligence. We're the only uh, animal that actually thinks about, why are we doing this? You don't have... There are lions calling together a council saying, hey, is it good for us to eat antelope? No, no, no. Only man will do that. (laughs) Only man will go, no, we should not do this. Then other theologians will say, no, 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 no. It's what makes man unique is actually that we are created with this innate longing to be in, in connection with God. We want a relationship with our creator. And then other theologians will say, no, it actually means that we have conscience. We're sentient beings. And then the others say, no, no, no. Actually, God created the earth and we're creative. You don't see a lion painting a picture. You know, that's what it means to be create, you know, created in the image of God. Or you, know, you even read the text. It's like, no, actually it means that we are supposed to rule over creation. And we're supposed to be the, the physical representation of the invisible God. And we could spend a lot of time just dealing with like what it means to be created in the image of God. It's somewhere in those categories. (laughs) Let's just put it that way. Um, But I want you to notice this. He created both man and woman as the image of God. And the worth and value of the man or a woman is derived from the fact that they are made in the image of God. Both the man and the woman are equal in dignity, value in worth, even though they are very different from one another. And their differences, their roles have nothing to do with their worth and value. Now think about all the people in here, the various job titles that we have, the various backgrounds that we have, the various languages that we have, the various uh, education that we have. There are people who sometimes judge the worth and value of people based on these things, based on where you're from based on your skin color sometimes, based on education and what kind of job title you have and how respected you are. But what this is saying in Genesis 1, 28 and and 26 and 27 is saying that actually all of us are infinitely valuable and worth and have worth that no one can take away from us. There's no government that gives you your value. There's no king that gives you your value. There's no job position that gives you your value. Our value is derived from the fact that we are created in the image of God. And that means that we as Christians, we should not think like the rest of the world does, saying, I will respect you when you earn my respect. Anybody heard that? I will respect you when you earn it. Now, according to Genesis 1, we should start with respect. We should start at looking at every single person as a soul that carries the image of God, no matter if they agree with us or disagree with us. And we should want them the best in life. And what, of course, if we're followers of Jesus and we've gotten to experience his joy and hope, we can say, follow Jesus, surrender to him. But we must remember this. Our worth and value is derived from this idea that we carry his image. It's not in our behavior, our status of life, our preferred identity. No, our value is found in the fact that we're created in the image of God. And if, you, if you've ever wondered, like, where does the idea of human rights come from? It comes from this doctrine of the Imago Dei that all of us carry the image of God and there's no government that can take it away from you. There's no king that can take it away from you. You, as a soul made in the image of God, have infinite worth that no other human being has the right to take away. So if you ever wondered that, and here's the problem, like we were laying out in the beginning, we don't agree on a foundation anymore. Back in the day, most people said, well, you have infinite worth and value because you're created in the image of God. And yet we've removed God out of the equation. We still believe in human rights. And yet we're wondering, but why? I mean, the animals just sort of fight it out until the strongest person is on top. So <laughs> why shouldn't we? <laughs> you know? well, what actually gives us human rights? Well, this, that we're created in the image of God. If we go to Genesis 9, 6, and you think about, okay, why does God take murder, for instance, in, in the Bible so seriously? In Genesis 9, 6, it says like, God is like, if you murder a human being, you will die. And he says, the reason is, Because God made man in his image. That's why he takes murder so seriously in the Bible. Now notice something. If we go back to Genesis 1, verses 26 and 27, God says that he makes humanity in his image and all of humanity is summed up in these two genders, a man and a woman. There's no open discussion here. There's no dialogue going on. It's simply a statement of fact. And you may say that this means that God is narrow-minded and that he is hateful, But let's remember, we are operating from a biblical worldview that God is good, that he's actually not trying to prohibit your joy, but to give you joy to the fullest. And with regards to being narrow-minded, let's remember this, truth always is kind of narrow-minded, isn't it? That's not necessarily a bad thing. But Jesus saying, I am the way, the truth, the life, isn't that narrow-minded? Is water is wet? Is that narrow-minded? Are there any options on the table here? No? Huh? Is water wet though? That's another option on the table. <laughs> when we have truth, here's a door and if you run into it, you're going to get hurt. <laughs> there you go for that. If you run into the door, you're going to get hurt. That's a narrow-minded truth because it's true. You know, and, and Jesus saying, I am the way, the truth, and the life. It's narrow-minded when you really think about it. But, he says, anybody can come to me. Are you weary? Are you heavy laden? You want rest? Come to me. And so this with regards to gender is, you may say it's very narrow-minded, but so is truth. It's always narrow-minded. Notice another thing in our text that attacks a very popular notion, both inside the church and outside the church today. Anybody heard this statement? You are a soul and you have a body, right? <laughs> yes. But notice in creation that Adam isn't sort of a disembodied soul before he's created a body that's sort of operating like a shell for him. Like Adam is created from the mud and then Adam is, right? So from the beginning of creation, uh, it's, it's this idea that our bodies are not inconsequential to who we are created to be. Now, outside the church, this idea is revealed in thinking like, Your gender is not found in your biological status or reality. Um, And inside the church is in in words like you are a soul and you have a body. In both cases, what we're doing is basically minimizing the body. And I would argue that operating, uh, that's kind of coming from, maybe it's kind of heavy word. I don't know really how to put this in words, man maybe from a non-Christian worldview. I'm not saying that if you hear a Christian out there saying you are a soul and you have a body, then you're like heretic or something like that. But I'm just saying that's probably not informed by the Bible. When we see God coming along and creating humanity, he creates us with soul and body. And notice here, this is in a perfect world. It's not like sin has entered, everything is broken, and therefore Adam has a body. He says in Genesis 1 31, this is very good. He created Adam and Eve as a soul and body. And now with the fall, of course, our bodies start to decay and die and our souls are affected as we feel the effects of sin. But even in our Bibles, like Philippians chapter 3, verse 21, I don't think I put it on the slide. It says, we have one day we're going to be resurrected and we're going to have glorified bodies. So God for eternity has created us to have bodies. The idea that the body is not, is sort of only a, a shell and can be discarded and nothing else is more actually like a Roman Gnostic idea from 300, not 1700 years ago, something like that. The Gnostics believed that everything physical, this table, pulpit thingy here, this skin, this is all bad and it's keeping you from enlightenment. And so anybody watched that Noah film and walked away like super confused, like this? This isn't in the Bible. <laughs> that's because that was written from a, a Gnostic perspective. You know? And that, that's what the Gnostics believed, that everything physical was bad. And I think that sort of seeped into the church with sentences like, you are a soul and you have a body. Uh, and you see, even, even throughout the scriptures, like, even when you think of Jesus, the, the key to our faith is that Jesus was not simply resurrected in a spiritual sense, which all of the Gnostics would have loved, by the way. They would have been like, yeah, of course. He let go of his body and then he conquered, that he was enlightened and all this. What really bothered them was the Christians who claimed that he actually resurrected physically. Like if you go to Luke chapter 24, verse 39, Jesus is actually coming to the disciples saying, these are my hands. This is my skin. This is my body. I'm literally alive right now. And, and the same thing, when you look at the rest of scripture, specifically if you're going through Proverbs, you start to, to find yourself seeing a lot of connection between your state emotionally or spiritually and your bodily state. Right, here's one example. In Proverbs 14, verse 30, it says this, a tranquil heart gives life to the flesh, but envy makes the bones rot. Now, I think a lot of people have doubted this for a very, very long time. And then, you know, recently we've discovered through science that actually your outlook on life and emotions actually has big things to do with your body and how your body feels and how it reacts to treatment and so on and so forth. And it reminds me of this quote by a guy named Robert Jastrow. He put it this way, for the scientist who has lived by his faith in the power of reason, the story ends like a bad dream. He has scaled the mountains of ignorance. He is about to conquer the highest peak. And as he pulls himself over the final rock, he is greeted by a band of theologians who have been sitting there for centuries. (laughs) What the Bible has been over and over again, and if you read through the Proverbs, notice this. It, It talks about this connection between how you're doing spiritually and how it affects your body. But all of this is to underline one point. That God created us body and spirit. Your body is not inconsequential. Your body, your bodies are important and consequential to God's intended purpose for all of us as humans. And we are created to reflect a limitless God, but what, what we are reminded in our bodies is that he's also created us with limits. We have the breath of God that gave us life, and yet we are created from mud. Such a crazy contrast, right? <laughs> we have the breath of God, and yet we walk around with bodies of mud. We are to reflect the limitless God, but still remember we are not God. Living inside these limits and learning to rest and and, and enjoy ourselves within these limits learning that we can't be everywhere at all times, learning to live inside the limits of what God has created me for is where joy is actually found. And we have to ask ourselves when it comes to gender identity, what what does that speak to gender identity? It means that he created us male and female for one another. There are no options for us. We don't get to choose which we are because our bodies tell us and he made us male and female for one another. Generally, with different focuses, different strengths, different tendencies—all of them, when we come together, starts to reflect who God is. And He created us in His image, as complementary parts, supporting one another. So let's quickly go over some of the myths that we need to bust here today. Uh, the first one is gender doesn't matter, or gender is a social construct. No, actually gender does matter as male and female are created as humanity to reflect who God is to the rest of creation. And we are to be his representative. This is not a social construct. This is not, I don't know, some government telling us what a man is and what a woman is. It's God telling us. And with that in mind, we should celebrate and appreciate our God-given differences, right? We want to be united as one. And so many times when we talk about unity, Most people think of uniformity. That's not the case. We can have unity and still have a lot of diversity. And actually, when we are diverse, God has gifted us in various ways to build one another up. So let's appreciate, celebrate our God-given differences, our God-given tendencies, our God-given strengths. And remember that even as we serve in different roles, even as we come from different backgrounds, we are all worth, we have, we have value, we have worth because we are created in the image of God. And let's, as, as a family of faith, and let's as people who walk in, outside of this church today, or not outside, churches, actually the people, as we, as we scatter into our week, let's be willing to give everybody respect and everybody love and not think, oh, you have to earn that because they're created in the image of God. Now, the second myth that is busted today is this idea that my worth is found in what I think of myself or how I express who I think I am. And this idea, I think we as a church, we have to kind of take ownership on some of the ways the church has failed in these areas, right? Um, In the area, this area, the church has done a bad job with certain sins. Now, I have no doubts that There have been people coming out of all types of lifestyles who were told by their former friends to find pride in their lifestyle and even find their worth and their identity in their lifestyle and the way they lived. And then they may have found themselves at a spot after years of living as their own God that this wasn't actually giving them true joy. And they walked inside a church and what the church did at that point is that they didn't see a person created in the image of God. They didn't see a person that had worth and value. They saw sin with two legs walk into the room. And they did exactly what their former friends did. They said, your identity, your worth, everything about you is tied to your lifestyle. And what we've done is a bad thing. We've we've basically said, and I'm not saying that we shouldn't do that. We shouldn't stand on truth but we should reflect Jesus. And John 1 says about Jesus, he came full of grace and truth. It turns out that in many ways, the church has been thinking in the same worldly ideas that their former friends did. They saw their worth and value tied up in their former lifestyle. And I don't want that to be so of us. We are called you see people through the lenses of the Bible. And the Bible tells us that if you see someone who is struggling with any sin, they are not less than human. Amen. Anybody in here struggled with sin? <laughs> you still know you're, you have worth and value, that that doesn't define who you are, but Jesus in the end has the final word. Your worth is not found as you look inside yourself, your worth is external to you. What does the Declaration of Independence say in the US? Uh, You've been endowed by inalienable rights by your creator. You have been given rights that no one can take away from you because you are created. And now the final myth, as we ask ourselves, how does the good news of Jesus relate to gender identity? The final myth is this. God made me this way. And if he gave me these feelings, he wants me to live in light of them. Anybody heard this? Anybody told yourself this? (laughs) Well, God made me love money this way, you know? So so I probably should just push these people aside and do what I want. Let me remind us we don't live in Genesis one anymore. (laughs) I think that's evident from the world around. Everything in this world has been tainted and touched by sin. Romans three twenty three says, "All for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God." This is true of the selfish person. This is true of the greedy person, the liar, the one sleeping with people outside of marriage. Marriage. Those reflect struggle with fighting against God's design with regards to gender, and everybody else. The fact is that all of us, we have a tendency to seek our own way. Romans 3, 10 to 12 says, no one is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Anybody come in here like, I just need a confidence boost this morning. (laughs) This is you. (laughs) This is all of us. We all have the tendency to live in open rebellion against God. And what I, what I find out after coming to faith, is not God simply doesn't give, give us patience before I come to faith. Even afterwards, I'm like, man, how do you put up with me, God? We all have a tendency to not want to be created in the image of God. We want to be God. And we did not seek God, but what the story of the gospel is, the good news of Jesus, when we didn't seek God, He sought us. That's what made Christianity, again, I say this all the time because it's such an important truth. That's what makes Christianity different from every other religion. It's not do this thing to earn nirvana or paradise or do these things to impress God or earn your way to heaven. No, this is what God did to come to us. We've all failed For some, it may be in the urges to lie, to cheat, to harm others, for greedy gain. To others, it may be to seek to sleep with as many people as you possibly can and fulfill every sexual desire that you may think of. To others, it may be to start to redefine your gender and and divorce it from who God created you to be. And you're not alone in having the desire that's incompatible with the will of God for your life. That's why all of us are in here because we've all gone down that road with one way or another. And we've decided to say, Jesus is worth following no matter the cost. We've picked up Matthew 16 and we've said, I will follow Jesus. I will deny myself and I will follow him because he is worth whatever I have to give up. And for most of us in here, we've all decided and experienced that it is worth giving up everything to follow Jesus. And because he suffered bodily, because he rose bodily. How does this speak to us? It means that he took on flesh. He knows what it's like to feel human. He knows what the pain of life is like, and he can identify with our pain, and he came and he died for us. And because of that, like I have good news. We don't have to just read Romans 3.23 and be reminded of how awful we are. (laughs) We can read about how awesome God is. Romans three twenty three: for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, but amen, the story does not end there. And we are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood. Seeking to live without our God-given limits may sound joyful and free, but in the end, it enslaves us. Only when we're surrendered to God do we find true and lasting peace. And then we see that he he has indeed created us and he knows better. This is the good news. Are you aware of your sins? Jesus has paid the penalty for our sins. He has come bodily so that we can come before the throne of God. Not because you're so awesome, because you're not as awesome as your mom thought you were, right? I see one mom over there is like, no, he's lying. This is good news. God is good, amen? And he's out for our joy. God is gracious, amen? And he's died for our sins. And God is great and glorious, amen? So his call for us is not someone's informed guess about where joy is found. He's saying, no, I created you. I know what I created you for, follow me. Follow me as I take you to joy to the fullest. And may we be ready to answer questions in a very confused age. And may we do so reflecting our God and our savior well as we seek to do so graciously and humbly and pointing to Jesus all the time. All right, please don't just be a truth bomb dropper, you know, just kind of throw a grenade of truth in the room and then walk away like, Ha-ha, I won the argument or whatever else. No, we're, we're here to reflect Jesus. We're not called to win arguments. We're called to seek souls, right? And so as we go into this week, hopefully this has helped you to think through some of this stuff and maybe informed you on how you can answer people. Maybe this can be a resource that you can point other people to. But I hope that we enjoy the great news of Jesus. And one of the things that we're doing today, which is just one of my favorite things, uh, is that we get to baptize a brother and sister. uh, And we get to, be reminded of the good news that we have in Jesus, that he has indeed come to save us. And uh, what it means to follow Jesus is we die to ourselves and we seek, uh, as we we give ourselves to Christ, we are created as new people in him. We are a new creation in Jesus because of what he has done. And that's exactly what the baptism points to. As we baptize people and we lay them into the water, we are being reminded for all of us We've decided to die to ourselves. We are buried with Christ. And as we come out of the water, there's nothing holy about that water. It's not imported water from like Jerusalem or something. You know, it's it's Icelandic water. So I guess it's very important water. Yeah, it's, it's very quality water in there. But even though it's quality water, nothing in that water saves us. It's simply a picture that God has cleansed me. He has made me new. And we're going to celebrate a brother and a sister taking this step here today. And uh, I, I, wanna, I wanna go into one song. I'm gonna put on uh, new clothes and uh, uh, Hamid and Nilu are, are gonna go and put their clothes on too. And we're gonna go on the baptismal and I'm gonna tell you a little bit of how they came to faith. And then we're gonna baptize them and uh, celebrate together what God has done in their life. And be reminded what he's done in all of our lives. So let's, let's pray together as the band comes on states And Hamid and Nilu, you can, you can go change now. Uh, I'll, I'll, be, I'll be changing here in, in a little bit. Father, we, we thank you for your grace and your mercy. We thank you for the fact that you have come and you have approached us when we could not approach you. We praise you for the fact that while we were aware of our sins, you had a plan to send us a savior. And that we, Father, as we see your nail-pierced hands, as we see your body that was mangled and bloody for us, we are reminded of your grace and mercy. We are reminded of your sacrifice and your love. We are reminded of how when we did not seek you, you sought us. So, Father, as Hamid and Nilu, take this step today. And as we have our brothers and sisters here from Iran, and as we so we remember uh, uh, the fact that we're a part of this global family, global community, and you are operating here among us and around other churches around this world and how awesome it is to be a part of your community. We thank you. We thank you that you meet us in our confusion, in our need, in our sin, and you take our debt and you nail it to that cross. We don't have to think through if you love us that cross reminds us every single day that you do so father as we sing together as we celebrate baptism together may we be built up may we be encouraged in jesus name i
0: pray amen You've been listening to Sermons from Iceland, a weekly podcast highlighting the Sunday teaching ministry of Lofstofan Baptiste Kyrka in Reykjavik, Iceland. If you have a desire to see the gospel spread in Iceland, consider partnering with The Iceland Project. For more information, go to theicelandproject.org. If you live in Iceland or plan on visiting Iceland soon, make plans to worship with us at 11 a.m. on Sundays. Our address is Fagrathing 2A, Kopavogur, only 7 miles or 12 kilometers southeast of downtown Reykjavik. You can reach Pastor Gunnar via the Lofstofan Facebook page or by email. His address is lofstofan at lofstofan.is. Join us next week for another Bible-based and Jesus-centered message on Sermons from Iceland.